Okay, if we've got that video ready, we're going to watch a short clip just to remind us the meaning of this day. Good Friday. How could Jesus' brutal murder be remembered by this moniker? One might suspect it a ghastly mistake, a misnomer by Easter's chronicler. The Son of God betrayed and beaten, condemned, scourged, crucified, where after a cry of dereliction, he breathed his last, and with him, hope died. The light of the world extinguished as the heavens above went dark. Creation mourned its maker's suffering, and evil left its mortal mark. But how can one death change the world, prompting dark and stormy sky? What really happened atop Golgotha? Why did Jesus die? No doubt Jesus' enemies sought his death to shore up privilege and positions. Stirring up the crowds to call for blood, Pilate caved to their conditions. But don't confuse man's machinations nor credit diabolical designs. Do not believe Jesus was impotent, a helpless victim of heinous crimes. For Christ's suffering on that lonely hill was no accidental execution. The long-laid plans of love, now made flesh, hung there voluntarily as sin's solution. Atonement, the answer to the Christian story's divine dilemma. How can eternal goodness bring forth justice while still justifying sinners? The only way, a worthy substitute pays sin's wages to empty evil's ledgers. In mocking theatre, soldiers ignorant of scripture shrouded Jesus with our sin. Echoing Isaiah's ancient whispers, a scarlet robe they laid on his tortured skin. Bowing down in jest to heaven's high king, they crowned him with our curse. Pressing thorns into his brow, little did they know, creation's scars he would reverse. For Jesus suffered our stripes and carried our cross and died the death we owe. Love's public disgrace, it plundered the grave's claim, while delivering to evil, death's blow. But why? Why the suffering? Why the cross? Why can't God just forgive? Cannot heaven's judge simply pass over evil? Who cares? Let us go. Let us live. But what of the victims, the brutalized, the tyrannized, injustice cries out from the land? How can holy love pretend sin benign and wave it away in a cruel sleight of hand? It does matter. Each compounding deposit of dark thoughts, cutting words, selfish deeds. Our said consciences bear us no excuse for a love that wanders or grows cold or recedes. The net sum of our exploits, earth damaged by evil, were a shadow of who we should be. The secret cost of transgressions made public, heaven's answer in blood on the tree. The cross is God's logic, a paradox of justice, condemning sin while granting us pardon. A killing death though is dying, Jesus gave up his ghost, with his corpse being entombed in a garden. So speak of Good Friday, this day of atonement, for God's scars tell the story of love. The cross is an open invitation. Trust freely in Jesus for a salvation that comes down from above. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, much of the world is in a little bit of a mess right now. If you uh, have a look at you know, world news, have a look around the globe, you've got war like actual war happening in various places. Uh, many countries are simply unsafe places to live and uh, we have refugees coming to countries like ours because they're uh, running from the danger. Even the, quote, land of the free and the home of the brave is a place of political, racial, economic turmoil 
Um, uh, it's a bit of a pickle, as Bluey would say. And while humanity has mostly moved through uh, this little thing called COVID over the last three years, uh, the ongoing effects of, of that pandemic, uh, the, the mental, mentally, emotionally, financially, the effects on the third world, on governments, on, on all sorts of things, all of these things, you kind of get the sense they're just coming to the surface now. We're not over it by any means. Thankfully, Australia has uh, survived and thrived as well as just about anyone through this, all of this stuff, all that's happening in the world. Relatively speaking, we live in a safe and prosperous country. That's probably an understatement, to be honest. But some of that is shifting. Now, I don't know how you are personally being affected by the VUCA world we now live in. You heard that acronym? Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. VUCA. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world. I don't know how you're personally being affected, but I'm guessing that your life is not quite as comfortable for you as it was a few years ago at some level. For example, put your hands up. If either your mortgage has jumped significantly in the last six months or it's about to, or your rental situation has been of some concern to you. Now, everybody who hasn't realized yet, put your hands up, right? A lot more hands than there would have been three years ago. That's just one, in the scheme of things, relatively small, but for some big challenge. Uh, in difficult times, we, we look for something or someone to give us security. That's human nature. We don't want to live in a, a volatile, uncertain state. We look for something or someone we feel we can trust to get us through the challenge, to, to keep us safe, to provide for our needs, to provide security in some way. What we trust in will change depending on the circumstance and depending on the need. If you're in a financial crisis, personally, a doctor isn't that much used to you. If you're in a financial crisis, we, we might look to job security, we might look to government support or, or uh, somebody who can help us get through. When we face a health crisis, uh, a health condition, our trust might be firstly in, in, in family and friends for support, but then doctors and healthcare systems and, and, and hospitals to, for, the, for their skills is what we rely on. That's what we trust in. If we're battling with mental health, we're relying on those who can get us through that dark cloud. If you're in a war zone, you might look to an army. If your computer's not working, you look to a 16-year-old. When you're, we're looking for security or safety or, 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 or um, uh, health or provision, we, we trust in something or someone that can provide that. We also trust various leaders, uh, people who can guarantee or say they can guarantee security around aspects of our life in, in Australia, and then when they don't deliver, we vote them out and we move on to the next one. Right, you can put your trust in just about anything or anyone. Just about anyone or anything can promise you security, life, health, safety. Not that they always deliver, though. 
right? So And so we continue to trust and then not trust and then trust and not trust again and, and again, so on and, and that's how we go through life. The passion narratives, the accounts of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, they don't just tell us that Jesus died. That's one thing they tell us. But they also tell us why he died. What was the point of all this? And in doing so, they reveal the kind of person that Jesus is. They reveal the kind of king or leader that Jesus is. In other words, they reveal why he can be trusted for your security and for my security. Why he can be trusted for your safety, for my safety, for our health, for our life, for our peace. And so we're going to read, we don't have time to read the whole of the passion narrative this morning, but we're going to read uh, a section of the lead up to the cross from John's Gospel, verse uh, 18 to 28 to, to 19, 16. Um, and then I'm going to offer some reflections. So Cameron and Martin, if you could come and help me uh, with this reading. So on my right will be the voice of Pilate. And on my left uh, will be the voice of the Jewish leaders. And uh, I'm going to narrate the rest and also read the words of Jesus. The context of this passage is that it's the time of Passover. We need to know about that at this point is that the Passover is a festival, a celebration, a remembering of something in the Jews' history a remembering and a, a festival around the time they were released from slavery in Egypt. And so that is a thing happening for them at this particular time. So from John chapter 18, verses 28 through to nineteen sixteen. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? I am a Jew, or am I a Jew? Pilate replied, Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, 
I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, He was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power to either free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So notice a couple of things. What type of leaders are Pilate and the Jewish officials, chief priests, leaders? What type of leaders are they? Good ones? (laughs) No, they're everything, basically everything you don't want in a leader. Consider Pilate, for example, that he's cynical. He's not interested in truth. He's unjust. He tortures and kills an innocent man to protect himself. He's manipulated and pressured by the Jewish authorities. He's making decisions without the full range of knowledge that he needs. He he uses his power to protect himself and not others. That's not what you want in someone you put your trust in, is it? We don't want to trust someone like that. You, You know it's going to go bad. On the other hand, think about the posture and the attitude of Jesus in this situation. Now, he may be the one on trial, but he's actually the one in control. 
the whole situation. It doesn't threaten what he says is his kingdom. His kingdom's not at threat because of everything going on. He says to Pilate, actually, you don't have any power over me other than what God gives you. He's heading to this, this excruciating death, and he's heading there willingly. It's actually his plan. They are not ruining what Jesus wants here. He had a plan, and they're getting in the way. And he's, This is his plan. He's in control. Now, maybe in Sunday school um, or at some point in learning about the Gospels and the, the, the passion narrative, the story of Jesus, you, maybe you heard about Jesus dying on the cross. And the sentiment was sort of, oh, wow, poor, poor Jesus. No, this was his plan. This was his direction, the way he was being the leader and the king he was meant to be. Now, was it painful? Yes. And he struggled with the weight and the cost of this calling, asking hours earlier, of the Father. Is there any other way, Father? Does it have to be this way? Do I have to go to this cross? But he is the one in control here. He's not like at the mercy of them unwillingly. How can that be? Why did Jesus choose to suffer this death, a death designed by the Romans to be the most excruciating kind of death possible? Why? Well, the passage we just read, it gives us the answer in the space of about one line, but it's easy to miss and needs to be unpacked a little bit. There's a line in there that says, but it is your custom. This is Pilate speaking, right? Pilate talking to the Jews. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, No, not him, give us Barabbas. The Passover and Barabbas. What's this? What's this mean? The murderer, robber, the robber, the the murderer and robber uh, who took place in in an uprising named Barabbas is presented to the crowd alongside Jesus as part of this custom at the time of Passover. What's Passover? Well, uh, it's a time of remembering for the Jewish people, remembering in Jewish history the time when they were released from slavery to the Egyptians, to the Egyptian nation. And God came towards the end of the plagues, if you know the story, and and death passed over all of the households and the Jews were advised, mark the doorframe with the blood of the lamb and death will pass over you, and those who were marked by the blood would be secure. They would be saved. They would be safe from death. And this began the release from slavery of the Jewish people out of Egypt. So the Jews were now freed from prison, slavery, captivity. Right. So fast forward to Jesus, and according to the custom, Pilate offers to release a prisoner because it's reminding them of Passover. You see the connection? The releasing of a prisoner, because they were released from captivity. So Barabbas is there, and Jesus is there. And what happens? 
The one who deserves freedom gets punishment. The one who deserves punishment gets freedom. Jesus and Barabbas, the one who deserves freedom gets punishment. The one who deserves punishment gets freedom. Furthermore, the innocent one, Jesus, like the Passover lamb, has his blood spilled. And this is why Jesus went to the cross. So that those, like those in Egypt many thousands of years before, so that those covered by his blood, marked by his blood, would be spared, would be secure, would be safe. He died so that we would be saved. The one who deserves freedom gets punishment. The one who deserves punishment gets freedom. And Jesus did this willingly. Willingly. He's the kind of leader, the kind of king who used his his power and his control to give up his life for others, to save others and not himself. So I think Jesus as a person, as a leader, as a king, is someone worth trusting because he's both able and is willing to provide what we are looking for, safety, security, health, life. But I'm not just talking, of course, about security in the middle of a financial crisis or a health crisis or a housing crisis, right? All of the pickles that the world is in stem back to one major pickle, which is called sin. And we talked about this more at the Billabong last Sunday. Sin isn't just about breaking the rules. It's not just about morally questionable behaviour. You did the wrong thing. Sin's about the... uh, it's, It's an infection. It's a disease. It permeates all things. And the root of it, the root of sin, is a choice to trust something or someone other than God. It's a trust issue. But God loves us. Everything about the nature of God and the way he made us and the way he relates to us is love, love and love again. It's compassion, it's generosity, it's it's gentleness, it's goodness. That is who God is from the beginning and all through eternity. And yet we made a choice. And our choice was to place our trust, not in the one who obviously deserves it and is worthy of it, but in something or someone else. That's called sin. And that broke the life-sustaining relationship with God we were made for. And this is why Jesus chose to die, friends. Sin has a consequence. Separation from God and ultimately death. Here's... The amazing thing, we've been separated from God, our brokenness with God and with each other. But because Jesus couldn't bear to see you and I experience that separation from God and that death, he stepped into our humanity, went to the cross with our sin and died the death we deserved.
The one who deserved freedom got punishment. The one who deserved punishment got freedom. A few weeks ago, I saw this sculpture of Jesus on the cross uh, by a Brazilian artist named Guido Rocca. It's going to go up in just a minute, but uh, um, it's a little confronting. Anybody seen this before? Okay, it's a little confronting, the, the, the emotion, the, just the way Jesus is portrayed because it's not a sculpture of Jesus hanging there weak and tired. You know, some of the paintings, you know, he's sort of, he's very sad and, and you know, weak and breathless, powerless, if you like. This is a depiction of Jesus forcefully defeating death, sin, injustice, and evil. Let's show it. It's confronting, isn't it? But friends, I... I want us to hear this this morning. He went to that cross because he was so consumed with love and compassion for you and for me. And he couldn't bear to see you and I separated from God and broken in our relationships with each other. And so he took sin and he took death to that cross and he destroyed them forever and said, it is finished. He took it all and finished it all for you and for me because he loves us. And all he asks of you and I is one thing, to trust him, to get your security, your salvation from Jesus alone to trust him with your life. Why is today called Good Friday? Shouldn't it be Dark Friday or Black Friday or based on those last few minutes, Intense Friday? Shouldn't it, shouldn't it be something else? No, 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 it's Good Friday because the cross is good news for you and I. And actually, it's not hard to understand. I asked my six-year-old, Micah, uh, the other day, I said, hey, bud, we're reading this story in his, his uh, comic book Bible. I said, hey, do you, why do you reckon it's called Good Friday? When we remember Jesus dying on the cross, why is it good? What do you reckon, Micah? And he thought about it for a second, and then he said, Oh, yeah, because when Jesus died on the cross, all our sins went on him, and then he made all the sins dead. But then he rose to life again, so he'd make us alive as well. That's it, friends. He also added, and then everyone would get happy in the world, and it would be nice. 
That's skipping to recreation and hope next Sunday after Easter, God is recreating the world. Part of the gospel too. But this is it, friends. He, he died on the cross. All our sins went on him. He made all the sins dead. He made death dead. And then he rose again to life so he can make us alive as well. Do you believe that? Maybe you do. Maybe you do believe that, but you had forgotten the extent of God's extravagant love for you in Jesus. Maybe you've just forgotten a little bit. Come back and trust him today. Maybe you thought you trusted him, but you realize you've been trusting in other things and other people. Lay those things down today. I'm going to provide a way to do that symbolically in a little while. Maybe you've never heard this before. You haven't heard it for a long time and you're like, I want to trust you, Jesus. I want to trust you, Jesus. How do I do that? Short way of putting it, you believe and you tell someone. That helps makes it real, helps make it real, as simple as that. Romans 10, 9 to 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. This is the good news. So we're going to sing a few more songs, and then we're going to do something uh, simple around the cross uh, to uh, respond to Jesus with our trust. If the team want to join me. Uh, loving God, we thank you just for the reminder, the opportunity to remember this morning uh, the extravagant love of God poured out to us in Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you did this willingly. You weren't a, um, an innocent sort of victim who, who, who went to the cross because you just got picked to do a job nobody wanted. No, you did this out of love for us because you are God eternal, existing for all, in all time, in all space, in all matter, and you chose to enter our existence, to enter humanity, and to die the death we deserve because of our sin. Lord, may we feel both the weight of our sin this morning that separates us from you, but more so may we feel the extravagance of your mercy, which outweighs a thousandfold the extent of our sin. You are a merciful, merciful, gracious God. And you did this because of your great mercy and your love for us. We thank you, Jesus, and we want to respond to you now with worship.